Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Random Productions, which is me. So if you like how we sound and are thinking about starting a podcast, reach out to me. I am very easy to find. Pod for Good can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy what we do here, please make sure to subscribe and share this episode on social media. And, you know, maybe leave us a review if you'd like. I am, as always, your chief philanthropod and class clown for advocating for unicorns, Jesse Ulrich. And I am your vice admiral philanthropod and class clown for permanency, Chris Miller. In this episode, we are talking with two members of the Tulsa CASA team, Elizabeth Fisher, their executive director, and Comfort Kaidel, the development and community relations manager. We talked to Liz and Comfort about why being a court-appointed special advocate is so important, why they should do a taco fundraiser, and Kentucky bluegrass. So much grass talk. Pot for grass. <laughs> I hope you all enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this episode. To the interview. We are very excited to have Liz and Comfort on the podcast today. Liz, Comfort, how are you guys doing? Wonderful. Great. How are you? I'm I'm good. Summer has arrived in Tulsa, as it it does every year after it rains for like three weeks. And now it's hot and humid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I live in a two-story house now, and I don't like it. (laughs) Second story gets hot. Mm -hmm. Yes. But this is not the Tulsa HVAC podcast. (laughs) This is hot for good. So we will move past that. Um, So you both work for... uh, Tulsa Casa, mm-hmm. not Casa Tulsa, the restaurant, which we're starting after the podcast. <laughs> but for either one of you, why don't you tell our listeners what that organization is? So Casa stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates, and we train and support volunteers in the community to advocate for children who are abused and neglected and in the court system. So, okay, let's take a step back because that was a lot. So, <laughs> like, so kids who are like picked up by social services, the police mm-hmm. or whatever who are in bad relationships are in the are in the system and then they need someone like children in foster care. So, yeah. so, so these these kids are already in foster care. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then these advocates do what? They like to get them to stay in foster care or like walk me through the process, I guess. So when a child comes into foster care, um, they got start at the court process and at that point we can be appointed and they'll get an advocate to advocate for their best interests. Um, in court, there are a lot of different players there. There's a child's attorney that advocates for whatever the child wants. There's a parent's attorney that advocates for the parents wants. Um, there's an assistant district attorney um, that is on the state. And then there is um, CASA. A DHS um, worker. Oh, a DHS worker. And a judge. And a judge. And then there's CASA. And CASA is there just to advocate for the child's best interest, no matter what it, um, what am I trying to say? Um, I don't know. Well, I guess like, <laughs> what does CASA do that the the attorney for the child isn't doing? So the, ch- the child's attorney has to advocate for whatever the child expresses that they want. Ah. So... What whatever they want, if they want to go live on Mars and eat chocolate ice cream every single day, they have to stand up in court and say, this is what <laughs> I want my this child to do. We advocate for their best interest. So we are the best interest piece. 
So we're there. We talk to um, parents, foster parents, teachers, doctors, nurses, therapists, and we get a good understanding of what the child is going through and what is in the best interest, whether it's, you know, um, to go home to their parents. Um, and that's usually what it is. Um, if the conditions that brought them into custody are corrected. And if not, you know, find them something very permanent. And um, that's what ACASA is there to do is to get them to permanency as quickly as possible so they're not languishing in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. So what would typically happen if there wasn't a CASA advocate there? So, um, so right now, we have approximately 1,500 children in foster care in Tulsa County alone. Um, and there are four judges gotcha. that hear those cases. There are four children's attorneys, unless there's a conflict. Um, there are four um, assistant district attorneys. So that's a lot of cases. And those kids have to be seen twice by the court. They have to review the case twice a year. So every six months. That's a lot of information, and they just don't have enough time to, to really gather all that information. And that's actually how we started in the first place. A judge in Seattle was, you know, um, making these hard decisions, and he didn't have enough information to make it. And so he started CASA. I mean, there, there, there's so many different directions to go here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, we'll get into the personal part, like, when did you get involved in, uh, involved with this? And like, why, why does this mean so much to you? Um, so I actually, it started a long, long time ago. It was when I was in high school. Um, my brother just finished law school and he became a CASA. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. I want to do it. Um, but I was too young. You have to be 21 at least to do it. Um, and he ended up, you know, serving as a CASA volunteer for a long time. And then ended up later on um, adopting a little boy from foster care that had a CASA. Um, he, um, when, of course, that, that boy is now a man. And when he graduated from high school, um, my brother invited his CASA to graduation. Um, so, yes, and I wanted to do CASA. So I started off volunteering years and years ago. And then when an opening came open, at the agency, I took it, and that so I supervised volunteers, and then became the program director, and then the executive director about four years ago. So I really believe in the program. Mm -hmm. She does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you know, there's there are nonprofit professionals who like sort of bounce around mm -hmm. either because of interest or because of work environment or because of you know sometimes it's the only way you can get a raise um, is to go to another another organization. So it's it's actually nice to hear from someone who like literally worked their way up to where they are Definitely. because they cared specifically about that issue. Mm -hmm. How about you? Company? That means a lot to me. Liz's uh, servant leadership and all of this. I think it's so important for people to have a whole view of whatever entity they're working in. And so that was actually really appealing to me when I applied for the job and met Liz that she did have a, a really solid why. Because so many people that get into this, they lose their why over time. And that's really important to me to keep it because I have a vested interest in all of this. I have three children um, that I have adopted from foster care. And um, I think uh, every single one of my kids has had a, a CASA worker at one time or another. Um, and I've had different experiences with CASA. And 
Um, when I had the opportunity to come work for CASA in October, I was excited, but I was also skeptical because child welfare work is very difficult and um, it has certainly taken a toll over me over the past decade of working at DHS and being a foster parent and all of those things. But when I think about from my very large perspective on all of this, because I've worn a lot of hats in the child welfare system now, and I always go back to how do we fix it? How do we fix the broken system? And I just, especially since I started working for CASA, I think CASA is it. And that's not because I've drank the Kool-Aid, but because when I think about the approach that has to be done to fix the broken system, no one's coming to save us. It's going to take a collective effort. And People like you and I can be volunteers and CASA workers, and they have a lot of power, um, surprisingly, as just a volunteer advocate. Judges really do consider what the CASA worker says. And it's interesting, one of the stats that I like to share with people, and probably Liz can articulate it better, about months in care and permanency. So a child will gain permanency who has a CASA on average seven months faster than a child that does not have a CASA Wow. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned anyone can be a volunteer. As someone who hasn't done it, I, I mean, it sounds a little scary to start. So how do you get somebody with zero legal experience, zero experience with child welfare, ready to be in a position to be an effective advocate? So one of the beauties about each CASA program is its own 501c3 in Oklahoma, However, we do have a national and a state organization that sets standards that gives us um, our training. So we have um, 30 hours of training curriculum um, that we have a volunteer go through before they're assigned to a case. Which is actually longer than a foster parent training. By three hours, but still. (laughs) You can learn a lot in three hours. Yeah. (laughs) And then they have 12 hours of continuous training after that um, every year. And then they're paired with an advocate supervisor that's going to help them that has an understanding of the child welfare system. So if there's any, you know, um, barriers that they run into, that advocate supervisor can help. If there's anything that they don't understand, then we'll get the training that they need. Um, But our our original um, pre-service 30 hours of training is... um, it, it, it really covers so many different subjects from um, drug addiction to domestic violence to poverty, trauma. trauma. Mm-hmm. Do you specifically try to target people with legal experience, either law students or practicing or, or mm-hmm. you really go after just whoever? Yeah. Yes. And that's the beauty of it, I think, because it's a very organic opinion of someone. It's not someone that's been trained in this. It's someone that just cares about the community, cares about kids. Um, And steps into this with hopefully an open mind and a desire to see some change. Um, Some of these cases last literal years. um, And these kids are just in there forever. And if you can get a CASA assigned on a case, I can't remember the exact um, cost. Maybe Liz knows of every child welfare case, what it costs the community between the DHS worker, the judge, the child's attorney, the district attorney, and all of those people that interchange all the time. Um, it's really advantageous for all of us to become CASA workers because it would help everyone's bottom line. Yeah, listen, we, we know Pot for Good listeners are all about saving money. So, <laughs> um, so uh, how many? And 
if you don't know the exact number, that's fine. Like how many CASA volunteers do you currently have? So we have about 75. And how many would you like? I would like to provide a CASA volunteer to every child in the core system. Mm-hmm. And we have 15, 1,500 approximately. And we, we, were, we were able to serve 257. Was that the number, Liz, last year? So obviously there's a huge deficit. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids are in the court system, the foster care system, and can't get permanency, which is either adoption or reunification back with their parents or in a kinship where you go with somebody that they, the kid goes with somebody that they know. Um, so there's a lot of um, pros to incorporating CASA into just about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, about how many cases or, or kids can a CASA uh, volunteer support? So usually a CASA volunteer will just have one child or one sibling set um, so they can focus on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, I mean, there are a lot of people in there and each player has a lot of different kids that they're trying to represent. Um, But the CASA only has one. And our CASAs go out and visit the children more often. So our minimum is once a month, but a lot of times the CASA is visiting the child once a week. So in a year... Where um, somebody who's visiting for DHS, um, Department of Human Services, they will go out and see the child 12 times in a year. A CASA will go out 52 times. And so they have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So this is like, for people listening, this is not like a, you, you show up to a thing, volunteer for a couple hours and then leave. This is like a multi-year commitment mm-hmm. to, for really like one, one or two kids. Mm-hmm. And we ask for a year commitment when somebody comes in, and obviously sometimes things change, but sometimes people stay way past the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I I'm just sort of like dumbstruck by that sort of like commitment to mm-hmm. somebody you don't know yet, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. it's it's just incredible. I mean, the fact that you have so many already is amazing, and hopefully you will get the pot for good bump in volunteers. <laughs> um, <laughs> What would you, what would you tell somebody who's like, oh my god, this sounds like too much, or um, I, I wouldn't even know like what to do. Like, wh- if there's a sales pitch for getting someone to volunteer for for Casa, wh- what would it be? <laughs> oh, is it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I do know that I go into every single training class because there's always there's a moment that when I was going through the training class, I was like, oof. Oh, I don't know about this. This is <laughs> this is really heavy stuff. I don't know if I can do it. This is scary. What if I make a bad recommendation? Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say just just do it because it is the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done, and it is well, it's part of who I am at this point. Mm-hmm. So truly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll piggyback off that as somebody that was a DHS permanency worker and investigator. Um, seeing the stuff that you see is really important for perspective and understanding on what's actually going on out there. And so I encourage people to do it because you kind of get to see what's actually happening underneath the curtain. And there's a lot. A lot of times we think that um, DHS and CASA are only dealing with like the most extreme cases that we hear on the news, but those cases are all day, every day across the state. And so we really needed a collective approach like this to if we're ever going to get anywhere on on this hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and it this feels like one of those situations where people might go in feeling like, well, I'm I'm not going to be perfect, so I can't do this. Where having somebody who is just willing to care is better than the alternative, which would be no one. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, and so you know that feeling that Jesse's talking about going in feeling like this is a lot, this is overwhelming. I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Just showing up is better than. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I used to recruit foster parents, and that's a really big ask of people mm-hmm. to devote so much of their lives to a situation with the child welfare system. And this is much more tame, and it gives you a chance to like put your toe in without um, it swallowing you all the way up. And what's beautiful also is you have your supervisor that is your guide through the whole thing. And you only have one case. I can't imagine the work I would have been able to do at DHS if I would have only had one case. Yeah. So this is the way to go. And we've got signups in my purse after I leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this would be very different from uh, the fostering dogs that you have been doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even though those dogs are very sweet. Yeah. Um, except for that little one. Uh, <laughs> Very yappy type dog. So the why I think is very clear here, which is like you care about these kids who are stuck in a system that we know is too crowded to Mm -hmm. really help them immediately. Like already, even with a Casa Volunteer, they're still in the system for a long period of time. And I'm I'm mostly just curious, maybe to line it up a bit. Like uh, I'm just very curious about the the lawyer for the child who just has to advocate for whatever the child wants. And in your experience, what is the funniest thing that lawyers had to advocate for? (laughs) He would ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) We do send out surveys, and one of the children put in there that the three things that would make them happy is a unicorn, new shoes, and a snow cone. (laughs) Well, two of those things are possible. (laughs) A unicorn, yeah. Uh, I would love to see a lawyer be like, my client would like a one unicorn, please. (laughs) Not being greedy, asking for multiple unicorns, just one. So, <laughs> unicorn. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, um, where would the funding for that unicorn come mm, from? That's a tough one. That's a toughie. <laughs> but first, we got to find the unicorns, wherever right. they are. Uh-huh. Um, so, in the sort of the Tulsa nonprofit landscape, what makes it more difficult, I would say, to get the word out about this work? So, I feel like Tulsa is a very philanthropic city. They all like to say that. And we have Tulsa has lots of issues, any sort of major like mid-major city would have. Um, but like, this is an organization that I, I I would hear about because I was talking to people who were in some way related to the issue, but not sort of like in the greater sort of Tulsa nonprofit sphere. Like, how can we help you with that? Like, what what can we tell people? Be like, this is a problem. It is very, very solvable if we have more volunteers. Like, what is the, um, I guess, from your point of view, like, what is stopping you from sort of breaking through the sort of Tulsa, the, the Tulsa sphere of wanting to do good? Mm-hmm. And that's a tough question because you mm-hmm. might not know. The <laughs> well, answer it to might it. be two part. I don't know. My initial thought is just communicating who we are and the need. Um, just, you know, social media, that's hit or miss. And we are also a nonprofit, so we don't want to spend everything that we have on advertising. So it's a delicate balance of, um, trying to get the word out there without overspending, but still communicate the need. You want to say anything on that? No, just, you know, we have about 75 volunteers, but we only have seven people that work at the agency. So um, we just 
we don't have a lot of manpower. We, we run very lean. Um, we don't spend a lot of money. Um, most of the money is that we have goes to the support of the volunteers. So directly into the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- does most of your money just come from general donors? Um, we have an annual fundraiser. Um, and then United Way, we're a United Way agency. And then um, we get um, grants. But we should, people should be looking forward to a taco fundraiser, I believe, <laughs> uh, as we were talking about off air. Yes. Listen, I feel like that's literally, that should have happened already. I want this to happen. Yes. Um, we are perceived as a Mexican restaurant or, as I recently heard, an apartment complex. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <laughs> I mean, so like, has there been, you know, each, each Casa chapter is its own, its own thing, but there's a, obviously a national organization. Like, has there been discussions on the fact that like nonprofits love abbreviations, but maybe this one like needs some work <laughs> just because <laughs> it'd be easier to like, it's one of those times where you actually need to say what the abbreviation is to people. Well, it's been Casa since 1978. <laughs> So I don't know if they've had that discussion. Yeah. <laughs> we'll so what's your concern it. with it, Jesse? Is it that it's also a Spanish word? No. Is that the confusion? Yeah, yeah I'm racist. That, that's the problem. <laughs> no, I, it's normal. Like this happens in like the federal government all the time. Like they'll, they'll pass a bill and the name of it will be an acronym that sort of spells out the thing it's supposed to be doing. And like in this case, the four words that make up CASA are, are words that like you wouldn't necessarily know that's what those words are for, right? So like it's hard to... If you saw, if you saw Casa on a thing, yeah. you know what it means. Right. Uh, it's I. There must be a name for the two different kinds of abbreviations. You're trying to get the kids home. Yeah. So Casa's the name of it. <laughs> you know what? That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> I stand corrected there. Yeah. We'll add all that out. Um, <laughs> if you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, "Ew, gross." You might think to yourself, "I'm not sure why I'd bother with that." Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess because they're nerds over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan's exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation for free it's right there on the website and of course there's more because this is a podcast ad if you tell them you're a pot for good listener they're going to take 25 percent off their service fees just tell them pot for good sent you stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website which i'm not going to read out to you again it's in our show notes thank you tallgrass No, but you're right. People see our name on our building and they've always wondered, like, what what actually is CASA? Mm -hmm. So we're actually 
uh, volunteer guardian ad litems. So those that's harder to say. <laughs> so you know what? That, that is fair. The concept yeah. is easier to say. It's a nice change. Yeah, it's a good change. It's a good change. Um, so you've been a, you've been a volunteer. You sort of worked your way up to executive director. Um, in that time, what has what have you seen? Sort of has the system gone worse since then? Has it gotten better? Is it even just more? Is it just slower now because there's more more people in the system? There's definitely more people in the system right now, more children. Um, you know, you, it's good and it's bad. You know, it had, I mean, some improvements happen and then some areas get slower. Um, definitely um, some of the shutdowns related to the pandemic really caused a bottleneck that we're still seeing um, some of the issues. So um, we're still working through that. And I think that... Um, that's a frustrating thing for people coming in to really understand how long these cases take. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess kind of similar along those lines, since you have seen so many aspects from volunteer, from seeing somebody you love be a volunteer, from seeing you know kids go through it and then working your way up, what kind of perspectives have you gained that have helped you as an executive director? Um, I think just working collaboratively Um, One of the things that I was most surprised about when I first stepped into the courtroom, because I had an idea probably from Law and Order or, you know, some other TV show, I'm sure, um, about what it would be like. And then I saw all these people working together and they might not be working together to the same level of where the child goes, but they're all wanting the child to be safe and secure no matter who it is in the courtroom. And so really meeting people where they are in the Mm -hmm. courtroom is probably the most impressive thing that I've seen is just how people kind of work together and collaborate. And I think that that's something that um, I continue to try to do and have in the agency. Mm -hmm. I'd also say people have evolved into being more trauma-informed and understanding of issues in the child welfare system, maybe casting less judgment and more understanding, which is so necessary to get these kids home. Yeah, what she said. That's Mm -hmm. a better answer, actually. (laughs) So so in, in a situation where there is kind of that difference of opinion on what's best for the kid, especially if, if the CASA advocate disagrees, you know, the, the parents are trying to get custody, but the CASA advocate feels like it's, they haven't done what they needed to. Um, what, what is the kind of the process for them to say, no, we don't think that they're ready to go back. And how is that sort of weighed? So every six months there's a court hearing and the court has to um, make a determination on permanency And at that point, you know, the department um, writes a report and sends it into the court and we write a report and send it in, send it into the court. Um, And it basically it, you know, has everything is fact based observations and then concerns and um, assessments. And then they make recommendations. The CASAs are able to make those recommendations. It goes it's filed in the court hearing, um, and it goes into the file. So, mm-hmm. And Tulsa Acasa actually has a very high acceptance rate. 99%? 99.3. 99%. Wow. Wow. All right. 
99.3% of all CASA recommendations are accepted by the court, which is actually higher than the national CASA average of 80%. 80 and that was wow. 2022. Yeah. That's, that's quite a bit higher. I mean, yeah. both of them are incredibly high, which just shows that like having a little outside perspective seems to help a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I get that. Like mm-hmm. people's lives are intense and, you know, it is hard to be objective about things that you are sometimes genetically tied to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And not just that, but like you mentioned before, uh, information, right? Every other person in that courtroom is dealing with so many cases. You know, a DHS agent, even if they're trying to do their best with the resources and time they have to make a recommendation, they may not have the ability to to see the situation as much as often as a CASA advocate who is only focused on one case. So I can certainly see the value of that. And as long as everyone in that room it wants what's best for the child, I can see them respecting the person who has the most information in the room, which is likely going to be the CASA advocate. Exactly. And we try to give them as much training as possible. So in, the, in those court reports, they're putting in just their observations. There's no opinions. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, um, what is it, dog in the fight? Mm-hmm. They're just there to provide this information and make recommendations to the court. I kind of want this in all parts of our legal system, right? Like, <laughs> there should be a, a CASA for divorce cases. There should be a CASA for um, I'm say murder cases. That seems weird. Uh, I don't know what the CASA person would be doing there. But, I mean, the, the idea of, like, we all need somebody who is objectively advocating for us in m- multiple different systems that we have to deal with, like m- medical advocates, right? Like, we need somebody who is not our doctor who is also doing research to be like, well, you know, like, maybe... Maybe your doctor isn't mentioning this to you, or maybe like you should go check, you know, you should go to this specialist or whatever, right. uh, because you don't know. You're too busy like living your life. Right. Um, and you're the 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 twelfth patient. Yeah. Your the your doctor has seen that day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, um, you're absolutely right. Um, one story that um is like our big success story right now. There is an advocate named Bill. And Bill had been on the case for several years. The child had already been in care for several years when he got the case. And Bill is a seasoned, great advocate. He's one of our few males. We absolutely need more males looking at you, too. For the listeners, we're being pointed to directly. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, Bill, maybe you should tell this story. No, go ahead. Okay. It's a great partnership between our Great. Um, Bill was working with this kiddo. I think he was adolescent, teenager, and um, was really struggling in foster care, in and out of foster homes, group homes, which those are just the worst. As a child, I just cannot imagine being in a situation like that. And so he was having some behavior issues, as many children in those situations do. Um, And he was really struggling to find a home, a permanent home that he could stay in. And since Bill had been on the case for a little bit of time and knew the case, he started digging into the case and revisited the mother whose rights had been terminated several years prior. And he reached out to her and come to find out she had recovered. And even though she had lost her children or her child, she was able to be reintroduced into the case many years later due to Bill's work and advocacy. And um, that child is now back with his mom and not floundering in foster care. So sometimes it's just about giving people another chance and Mm -hmm. another 
another look-see. That's yeah. what a CASA can do. I guess part of me is just surprised that this is allowed to exist in our system because it's so logical <laughs> and it's so helpful. <laughs> right? Like, why? I mean... Why hasn't somebody stopped it? Is that No, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm just like, that everyone just sort of res- like respects yeah. this person who is a volunteer in the system. And I guess because... At the end of the day, the majority of the people in that courtroom are trying to find a good out- outcome for the people involved. But it just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm amazed it exists. Yeah. Like, it is shockingly useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to express that because I was like, man, this is a great system. It truly is. Mm-hmm. It really is. <laughs> well, and the, I, I think to your point, the fact that everyone in the room does respect it, I think that people, that there's some stereotypes around lawyers and judges that they can uh, be a bit arrogant or can um, respect their own opinion above other people's, which isn't always fair, but sometimes is. Um, So it is appreciative to see a system where they do respect somebody coming in trying to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's unbiased. The person is not paid. I Mm -hmm. mean, it truly is the best interest of the child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is it common, because you've mentioned a couple instances of this, for people who um, are cost of volunteers to ultimately end up um, adopting or fostering because it does seem like there have been a few instances where you've mentioned that. So um, we do not, if somebody is a cost of volunteer, they cannot be a foster parent at the same time. We okay. just don't want any kind of conflict. Happening. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if they do adopt, it has, it would have to be separate completely from that. And right. mm-hmm. obviously you'd want to have them, it would be a conflict of interest for them to adopt somebody they're advocating for as well. Right. But I, right. Ima- I imagine that becomes a common thing somebody wants to do. You're seeing a, a child in, in pain and suffering. You're mm-hmm. like, I can help this child. But they, yeah. that's not their role here. Their mm-hmm. role is to help, help them right. work within the system. But mm-hmm. that's got to be tough. I imagine there's many of the 30 hours of training is involved in like yeah. trying to stay emotionally. But you um, know, so much of it, it can't be done in training. Like you, it's real world yeah. experience mm-hmm. and you're dealing with those exact things, those emotions that come up because you do get attached, I'm sure, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And of course, you want to make sure that child is okay. And so that's just another thing of like stepping into the system. There's so many emotions that come with it and so much self-learning and realization and development as a person. I mean, hopefully someone gets into it to help a child, but at the same time, it is a great personal development thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And just getting in there and seeing everything going on in the system, I could see it making somebody want to do more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe after they're done being an advocate, becoming foster parent or adopting because they do want to, uh, you know, find an additional way to help help these kids. Yeah. Or stay a CASA for a decade yeah. or plus. <laughs> for instance. <laughs> Has a volunteer ever been like, I'm going to law school. Like, I want to fix this from the inside sort of situation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm... I'm amazed people can volunteer for that long in a system that is just literally designed to just like suck all of the the will to do anything. And I mean, our court system in general is just overloaded in every in every regard. And I mean, like, I would do. I mean, personally, I think I just get angry a lot mm-hmm. at like how slow the process is going. Mm-hmm. I guess like, mm-hmm. how does that? How do the volunteers and how do the people managing the volunteers handle the fact that like, this is going to be like a multi year process sometimes with your one case that you have? Like, how do you keep them, like, I guess, motivated? Not, I mean, they're obviously going to be motivated because of the child, but 
keep prevent burnout. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, that is something that we would definitely focus on um, with our advocate supervisors, just to make sure that they are there for the support that they need. Because if they feel supported, it usually will stay for the length of the case. Um, and that relationship between the volunteer and the advocate supervisor is super close. Um, in fact, I still years later go to dinner with my advocate supervisor. She's long gone. She works at BOK now, but. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, Chris, you work at BOK. You know everybody there. Of course, yeah. everyone there. Yeah. So yeah. what about for the actual staff? What, what, how do you help support their mental health? Because I've got to imagine it takes a toll. This, the whole system takes a toll on your staff as well. It does. I think it's just a lot of open communication. We found that during the pandemic, we couldn't work from home because we needed to be together um, just to talk things through um, and to be each other's support. So we have really created a very support-laden environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, may I suggest Taco Tuesdays is going forward. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the the mental health aspect of this is really just where my mind keeps going because you you have to, as the like salaried employees of a nonprofit, interact with the volunteers who are doing this for free because they care. But you also have to protect you have to protect their mental health and your own at the same time. And sometimes you can be in a, in a relationship with a volunteer where like both of you are helping each other's mental health. And then sometimes there can be situations where you're both draining each other's mental health. And so <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm, we don't need to keep harping on this. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just fascinated by like what that relationship becomes like over time. You don't have to talk about like a volunteer that you hate, obviously. Um, <laughs> so, okay. For our listeners who are maybe like, maybe I'll volunteer, maybe I won't, but I'm, I'm thinking about it now. What else can they do to help? Donate. <laughs> We always we always need funding. Um, with more volunteers comes uh, more necessary employees. So that's one we always want to make sure that they also have the necessary training. So donations go to that. Um, and just still helping spread the word and get our name out there. So um, if you if you had like so you have seventy five volunteers now, right? So if you had twenty five more volunteers, would you have to hire another like program manager to handle those twenty five volunteers? Okay, we definitely. Advocate supervisor, mm-hmm. and we'd be happy to do so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious about the. Like, did you guys have a number like for every certain amount of volunteers you're going to need another advocate? Is it five? Is it ten? So each advocate supervisor, their max is thirty. So that means they're at capacity of thirty volunteers. Whew. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking as you were talking about earlier, like you know, having to deal with the in the sort of in the, in the child welfare system. And like how that can be draining on you. I was just thinking about back to my time as being uh, doing Holocaust education and how draining that was and like trying to find ways to maintain your mental health while doing something mm-hmm. that in its own right is both very important, but also very depressing. Um, like, so what we're going to, we're, we're going to pivot as we do. Um, <laughs> so what do you guys, what, what do you both do when you're not doing this? Like, what do you do for fun? To decompress. Yeah, to decompress. <laughs> yeah. I know what Liz does. <laughs> what does Liz do? Tell us this. Hmm. <laughs> no, I'm just that's not there. What do I do? I um I hang out with my kids, which sometimes that's good and therapeutic, <laughs> and sometimes it's not. Um, I'm a painter, and I like to do yard work. So oh. those are my areas of therapy. 
I like to read. I'm a huge nerd, so I love, you know, uh, sci-fi fantasy. Oh, all right. We're, yeah. gonna, we're getting into it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> who's your favorite author right now? Um, so right now I'm reading the Wheel of Time series. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you should check out uh, our Wheel of Time podcast that we have. Uh, Wheel of Pod? Is that what we call it? No. I don't remember what it uh, was. Yeah. Uh, but we did it when the TV show came out. If season two ever comes out, we'll do another season of it. But you look at me. I was like a guest on I know, one. I know. It was, I was, it was you it was, and It was and me and Andy. Andy from Inner Circle. Um, um, yeah, yes. Wheel of Time. I've... I've I've read the books twice, the, the Wheel of Time series. Um, still not 100% sure whether I liked them or not, but I've read it twice. <laughs> I liked a lot of the books in the series. Yeah. Some yeah. of them were not my favorite, but yeah. it's going to happen when you have a 14-book yeah. series. I can't remember which ones I liked and which ones I didn't like because they all sort of <laughs> blend in together. But we, we all agree that we, we like the, the, the Brandon Sanderson written last couple yeah, those, the most. Those, they, so, they finish well. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've uh, heard that. I think I'm on eight. Like mm-hmm. I said, they, they do all run together. Yeah, they do. They do a little bit. Yeah, so I hope between, you enjoy yeah, finishing. Yeah, that. yeah. It's it, it, it honestly satisfying ending. So <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of worry as you get closer. Like, how are they going to end this? And uh, I don't know. I was pretty happy with it. And so. uh, it ends. It so does. End, it go. does end. Which is better than Game of Thrones. It's so. true. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Or uh, my wife's favorite book series, The Name of the Wind. Yeah. Which. But, um, one of the most beautifully written fantasy novels ever, but there's only two of them, and the author seems to have no intention of finishing the series. Similar to Game of Thrones in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't think he wants to finish um, no. at this point. So mm-hmm. why would he? Yeah, he did too good of a job writing the first two books. He, it's one of those situations where you did such a good buildup, no ending is going to be good enough for it. Mm. So sorry we didn't go off on that much on, on yard work. Um, <laughs> We're not, we're not as yeah, drawn to yard work. I, I, had to I, mo- I had to mow my backyard uh, this, this morning, actually. So I have Kentucky bluegrass and I'm oh, very excited about it. Okay, um, did you edge too? No, my, okay. My, oh, I, we, apparently we are going into the yard work now. Okay, so I was given a gas-powered edger. I was about to ask, battery or gas? Well, so I have, I have both. I was given a gas one that I can't get started. Um, and I have a battery-powered one, but the, I had to replace the, you know, edging part and uh, <laughs> now it just flies off and oh. I don't know what I did wrong and I'm afraid. Masking so. tape works. I just oh, ran you know into what? this issue recently. I should, <laughs> I should just duct tape it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, it's terrifying because I'm like, yeah. it, if somehow in the five times it's flown off, it has yes. never flown off in my direction. <laughs> but um, yeah, so at my, my lawn looks great until you get to the end of it and then it looks like garbage because I can't, I'm afraid to edge it. I can't, get the, edge it. I can't get the gas one started. So, I'm not going to do this for 20 minutes. I wouldn't worry about it too much. I kind of feel bad that I do yard work, quite honestly, because it's just a cultural norm at this point. And it's not helping the bees. No, I've been reading a lot about how you shouldn't be mowing as much. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Luckily, I'm supposed to leave my grass tall so the bees can can have at it. Uh, Your Kentucky bluegrass? My Kentucky bluegrass, which Mm -hmm. is a fescue offshoot, as I've learned. I've learned a lot about my my yard (laughs) since I bought this house. It was just so beautiful. Yeah. Chris, you have less of grass. You have, you have less of a grass issue at your house. Well, it's because we have giant trees, and so grass doesn't survive in in my backyard mm. at all. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it's, and so they wouldn't survive the pool that you put up every summer. So. Yeah, I don't know if that's going mm, up this year. Cool. We'll see. <gasps> no, yeah. no pool. I don't know. We'll see. All right. I, I feel it's, like it's something. It's it's uh, we've put it up and take it taken it down several times, so it uh, it gets a little worse every time you do mm, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Oh man, I just uh, yeah, this is such a tangent. I uh, 
It was so more so than the the Kentucky bluegrass. It was so crowded downtown yesterday, and I had to come into the studio. I had to park in the vast uh, parking garage. I had to pay for parking, (gasps) like the first time since I moved back here five years ago. But I noticed that the the hotel over there has has a pool, like an inside pool. Mm. And I was looking very closely. I did not see a hot tub, which made me sad. But I'm like, hey, an indoor pool. I was just like, man. Indoor pools are nice. Anyway, that's my tangent. So <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere with nope, this. Nope, I had nowhere to go. Yeah, I just saw that pool. I need to tell somebody about it. So. Indoor <laughs> pools are amazing. My dream is a hot tub. I just really want a hot tub. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, hot tubs are great. Yeah, that'll be the pinnacle for me. Once you get the hot tub, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. can even be inflatable. Maybe not. I take that back. I no. keep th- thinking about I, I buying know. an inflatable hot tub. <laughs> I do too. And I'm like, but are they? I feel like it's one of those things that will last that that year and then yeah. you have to get another one and that might be okay considering that a, installing a hot tub is like a five to ten thousand dollar expense so. yeah, i know but it's i mean it's hard to spend whatever it is 800 bucks for something that's going to last one year mm-hmm. see i was thinking more of the 300 dollars versions of oh it. they have so 300 like, versions yeah, yeah, okay they're, they're like camping hot tubs so, okay um, you and a buddy yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> two people can stand here's our, here's in our them. tangent here's our tangent you look at the pictures these people don't have legs. There's the, the only way they could fit inside this hot tub is that their legs are gone. Because I'm like, there's no way four grown adults are fitting Mm-mm. in the hot tub. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so that was, that was quite the journey we just went on. Yeah. Um, we'll so see. Casa. Yeah. <laughs> so tacos in a hot tub to raise money for Casa. Uh, there we go. Yeah. yeah. And how does Kentucky Bluegrass fit in? Oh, mm-hmm. that's the music we'll be playing. Yes. Got yeah. it. Got it. So we got it all music. tied back yeah. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen. We're professionals of this. We can we can we can pivot back in in a multitude of different ways. Yeah. Um, so if somebody is interested yeah. in becoming an advocate, um, how do they connect with you? How yeah. do they get more information? So they can either call us at the office at 918-584-2272 or go to our website um, at www.tulsacasa.org. Um does your phone number spell out CASA? Yes, okay, it good. does. Good. I was, was going to ask. That's great. 918 CASA. Yeah, it took me um, it really probably does. two years. Yeah, two five years eight, to is it? realize that. 918 584 CASA. Nice. I learned something new today. It will be <laughs> it, beneficial yeah, to me yeah. later. I know. That's like not a big thing anymore. People it's don't not, think about yeah. phone numbers that spell stuff anymore. Uh, it used to be a big thing. 918 CASA, also a great name for a Mexican restaurant. So. <laughs> Or Casa, Casa Day nine one eight. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. There you go. Um, we got there. So actually, that's. I mean, honestly, that is a great place to stop. Um, but um, so, like, we'll, we'll obviously put all that information in, in our show notes. But uh, before we go, just like give us give us one more sales pitch about why people should volunteer to do this. And it can be heartfelt. It can be funny. It can be both. It can be neither. I'm looking at you. I'm looking. I'm looking at the extrovert here. One last sales pitch of why... Of why people should volunteer. Why they should become a CASA app. Yeah. I would just say um, we are really needing CASAs because we have a massive problem on our hands with the child welfare system. And we literally have, across the country, hundreds of thousands of children in foster care. And it's not only an emotional toll on them, um, but the drain that it's on all of our pocketbooks as taxpayers. Um, Also, what we do at CASA, you're not going to see an immediate um, change or fix or anything like that. What you're doing as a CASA worker now 
um, is planting the seeds for harvest at a later time and date and just knowing that you're not going to sit under the tree. I, I don't even remember what I have of my tagline at the end of my email, but it's something about sitting under the tree and planting the seeds early. I don't know. Refer to Comfort, <laughs> Comfort's email signature for the end of that quote. For the end. <laughs> uh, that might be one of my favorite endings for a podcast ever. I love it. Like, I don't know what's in my email signature because, again, you don't look at it once you've made it. That's true. So, That's true. Uh, well, Liz, Comfort, thank you so much for joining yes, us thank today. You. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that taco fundraiser. So Okay. Well, you're invited. All right. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Elizabeth and Comfort. Please, if you are moved by what they said, volunteer. If you are, uh, if you identify as a man, especially go volunteer. They need male volunteers. And it's an incredibly worthy cause, and I have no doubt you will all enjoy it immensely. But if you are too lazy to do that, like Chris and I probably are, you can donate on their website. They also need money, as all nonprofits do. So go, give, give, give your time, give your money, support them, and look forward to that taco fundraiser, because I'm making it happen. It's too perfect. Anyway, Pot for Good can be found on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're going to give us stars, please only give us five stars. But if you're going to give us less than five stars, please tell us why. It still bothers us to this day. As always, uh, Telsa, get it done. Broken Arrow actually kept their shit together. Well, Telsa lost power for a week. So Broken Arrow, you get a pass this week. Be kind to one another and stay cool out there. <laughs>